The other thing we believe is that drinking helps us sleep and it's really interesting. So a single glass of wine lowers your sleep quality by 24% and two glasses of wine lowers your sleep quality by 40%. What's up sisters? Welcome to the Period Whisperer podcast. I'm Bria. I'm your host. If you're new, I'm so happy you are here. I'm your perimenopause and menopause sister, your holistic trainer, hormone specialist, translator of your female body. I'm a recovering people pleaser and hustle addict turned body whisperer and hormone decoder. And I am here to help you de-stress your body, decode what it is saying, become the CEO of it and own your own health, energy and weight loss again. This show is for you, the overwhelmed, overworked, underappreciated step woman who dreams of a body they feel strong, energetic, and sane in. The woman who knows that she shouldn't just wave the white aging flag and believes in a body and life of peace, love, and purpose. But you don't just know how to get there yet. So if you are stuck in your body, your energy, your life, you are in the right spot. Let's lean in and learn what our bodies are saying to us. Hey there, sister. Welcome to this episode of the Period Whisperer podcast, where we discuss all things hormones, midlife, and how to feel amazing with your hormones in midlife. How are you feeling in your body today? More specifically, I want to know from you, how does your body feel about drinking alcohol? If you're someone who drinks either occasionally or maybe more often than you'd like, Have you ever noticed any changes in your body's reaction, the impact it might have on your sleep, on your digestion, on your energy as you go through these hormonally shifting years? Or maybe you haven't noticed anything at all. Have you found yourself wondering if alcohol is something that's not serving you or keeping you small? I ask these questions because these are actually questions I ask myself often and hear from my clients. And and I've asked these throughout my life. If you've been a longtime listener of the show, you know that eliminating inflammatory foods and drinks like alcohol are a critical part of healing so that your hormones can thrive and so that you can feel better in perimenopause and menopause. But being sober curious is something that I have found more and more present in my own mind over the last few years. And like many of you, when I start to get curious about something, I want to learn more. And in my research, I found and connected with an incredible woman who shares like really real, tangible, honest, and and powerful information around being sober curious and the impact of quitting alcohol. Actually, I completely binged her podcast recently. So of course, I had to ask her to come on the podcast and talk more specifically with us on the impact of alcohol in our lives and what life might be like without it and what to do if we're starting to feel sober curious. I think you're going to love this episode. I've been very excited about this interview, so please help me welcome Casey McGuire-Davidson, who is a life and sobriety coach and the host of the top 100 mental health podcast, the Hello Someday podcast for sober, curious women. And it has 1.2 million downloads. If you don't know, that's a lot. (laughs) As an ex-red wine girl who spent 20 years climbing the corporate ladder while holding on tightly to her love of wine, Casey's passionate about helping busy women stop drinking and create lives they love without alcohol. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, NBC News, and over 70 sobriety, motherhood, mental health, and wellness podcasts and publications. I mean, Casey, (laughs) we are so lucky and excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. 
Oh, not at all. Thank you for inviting me. I've loved talking with you. <laughs> just nice to have these conversations. We were just saying before, just the normalization of these conversations can make a difference, can it? Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. So why don't you tell us like, you know, I know your story because as I said, I've binged your podcast, but I love it. It's such a powerful one. So why don't you share a little bit about your story for everyone listening? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I used to describe myself as a red wine girl. That was kind of how I introduced myself to people in addition to like, I'm married, I'm a mom of two kids, I work in marketing, I'm a red wine girl, I live in Seattle, I love to travel. Like it was one of the things that I associated with my core identity. Doesn't say like your identity. Yeah. Yeah. And it was sort of a signal for me. I mean, I always loved to drink um, since college Mm -hmm. and I sort of thought it was what adults do. Um, And what I used to drink just kind of shifted with different periods of my life. So in college, I played women's rugby, which is a huge (laughs) drinking culture. Um, So that was a lot of keg parties. Yeah, And then I graduated college and moved to Washington, D.C. with a bunch of young people all working together. And um, that was a lot of cocktails out with bars Mm -hmm. in bars. And then I moved to Seattle with my boyfriend, now husband. And we had a lot of dinner parties with the red wine and white wine flowing. Like everybody in our group of friends, all the couples would come over and everybody would bring two bottles of wine and they would just fill the table. And it was a lot of fun. But, you know, over time, daily, my sort of glass of wine or two with dinner turned into a bottle. Mm. And over the course of 20 years, I became a bottle of wine a night drinker, 365 nights a year. That's unless I was trying to take a break from drinking. And I found it really difficult to take a break. I made every rule in the book, like, okay, I'm only going to drink on weekends, Mm -hmm. or I'm only going to drink when I'm out. So I won't have a bottle of wine at home, Mm -hmm. or then I'll only drink at home. So I won't be worried about driving. Or, you know, I will switch to white wine or to beer because I don't like it as much. And none of those strategies really worked more than four days or a week. So I, you know, nobody said anything to me. Um, My husband didn't tell me to stop drinking. I mean, he, he kind of wished that I wouldn't like what I call fall asleep on the couch. It was really passing out some nights, like he couldn't wake me up or that I wasn't, you know, he always had to be the driver home from basically any evening event because I would drink. Um, But it was sort of the death of a thousand cuts. My anxiety was off the charts. Um, I knew that I was worried about my drinking and I thought that I really needed to get a handle on it because stopping completely was my worst case scenario in life. But it's harder to ignore once you try to moderate that you're not doing it and that you keep breaking promises to yourself and sort of waking up at 3 a.m. with anxiety. And I used to hate putting on eyeliner and seeing my bloodshot eyes and you know, every time my husband's like, we talked about this, I would be like, 
did we? And I'm, I'd be so defensive, like, I'm so busy. I do everything. Um, so that was, that was it. Um, the last time I stopped drinking, I did something different that I'd never done before. And I actually hired a sober coach who lived in Paris. She was amazing. Um, I basically emailed her five times a week and saying day one and day two and day 22. And it was really positive and practical. Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God, I'm going out to dinner with another couple and my husband because he got a, a new job. What do I say? What do I order? How do I do this? I mean, silly things like my kids were eight and two. My daughter is having a meltdown and I'm so annoyed that my husband didn't start dinner. And I really freaking want a glass of wine and just having that outlet. And uh, it built up over time. And now it's been eight years that I haven't drank. Eight years. Can I ask how old were you, you were when the, when like the death by a thousand cuts kind of got too much? You, you can ask me anything. I was 40. I okay. quit drinking when I was 40. Um, and I didn't know I would quit forever. I sort of, my first goal was a hundred days Yeah. and wow, I noticed the difference, huge mm-hmm. difference. I went from feeling anxious and defensive and like I couldn't cope with my life and resentful of everything on my plate to, you know, I remember walking into work at 8 a.m. on a Tuesday and these birds took off from a field and I thought, oh my God, I love my life. And it was just such a contrast. I felt healthy and capable and rested and proud of myself. And that didn't mean that I didn't sometimes want to drink. But it did mean that I was curious enough to keep going. Yeah. I think we really grossly underestimate the mental load that comes from doing something that's somewhere inside of us, like we're not proud of, whatever. Oh, yeah. Right. So, 100%. So, even just that lifting for you and for people who, you know, make the changes that they finally want to make is huge. Yeah. And for anyone listening to this who, doesn't drink that much. That is great. That is awesome. My husband still drinks. I am the last person to judge because trust me, I was deeply immersed in the mommy wine culture and drinking as a empowered woman in the workplace (laughs) and waking up at 530 in the morning to try to sort of counteract that and prove that there was nothing to see here. So I would go to boot camps and there is literally nothing worse than doing burpees when you're hungover. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> I know that. When you think about it, you're like, what was I thinking? And maybe this is part of wisdom as we age, but it's like, what what business did I have at 5.30 in the morning waking up to work out when I had just like pumped a liter of poison in my yeah. body? Yeah, and I had tried so many strategies to drink less, like... I would sign up for evening running clubs. So I'd run from seven to eight Mm. thinking that I wouldn't drink, but I just came home and opened a bottle of wine when I got home at eight 30. And then I would sign up for (laughs) yeah, five 30 in the morning boot camps or bar classes or whatever, thinking that I wouldn't drink as much the night before. Mm. And I would. So, you know, at some point it was like, okay, it's the alcohol. And what I've discovered, and obviously now I'm a sober coach and a podcaster, 
it is so much easier to just not drink than to try to moderate your mm-hmm. drinking. And there are a million physiological and habitual and emotional reasons for that. But it is. And the hard part only lasts like three weeks, the really hard part, you know, of like, I don't know what to do with myself and Mm -hmm. I am craving alcohol and it's been seven, like you're physically withdrawing from it. And I know, you know, all about that just from the work you do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and that's why, you know, there's, there's so many aspects to the impact of just even taking an elongated break, but you know, I think I've heard, and maybe, you know, this being more of your expertise, it's worthwhile to to hear your thoughts on it. But we can often say like, well, I just drink on the weekends, but it actually takes, I think, at least five days for alcohol to get out of your system. So like the workload on your body, it's like, it's just getting out and doesn't have time to repair. And then we're doing it again. So yeah. it's not like, it's like, it's like that morning workout after you've been drinking, it's pointless. <laughs> it's well, what- and Yeah. And what I think you're doing is you are never getting out of this craving withdrawal cycle. And you're also never giving yourself the opportunity to see what else, what other interests might be around in your life if your entire reward system wasn't centered around a drink on the weekend. Um, You know, there when you talk about hormones, there's a lot of interesting things that happen in our body that are counterintuitive. So we think that alcohol helps us relax. Mm -hmm. It actually spikes your cortisol like significantly and takes a week for that to bring down. We think that it makes us happier. And because you're spiking your dopamine so much with this substance, your body is suppressing your natural level of dopamine and serotonin. So you literally are less happy than you would be naturally. And we think we're happy when we drink and we are, but that's because we've suppressed our natural level of contentment. And it takes 30 days to sort of even that out. Jeez, that's an, that's a really, I love that you shared that. Cause that is a, you know, and that can go with a lot of things, but specifically with alcohol to hear that. Cause those are a lot of the reasons that we habitually drink, yeah. isn't it? Like we habitually drink for stress reduction, you know, for, for joy, for libido, like for, you know, trying oh, yeah. to get looser in that area if you need it. Well, and, and separately like orgasm so much better without drinking because it really does deaden your senses. Um, And it is, you know, if you've always had sex when you're drinking or like me, I was a 40 year old mom of two, I was so freaking tired all the time. Um, You know, I was like, all right, I'll get drunk. I'll get happy. We'll have sex. He'll be happy. Hope my husband doesn't listen to this. No, but (laughs) I don't think he will. It's not his. No, no, it's not his jam, but it does. You don't need it for that. And it's, you will feel more. The other thing we believe is that drinking helps us sleep and it's really interesting. So a single glass of wine lowers your sleep quality by 24% and two glasses of wine lowers your sleep quality by 40%. And I probably had not slept well in years. I mean, the most I took off was sort of four days to a week. You need longer than that to even out your sleep. But um, 
alcohol is this really interesting combination of a stimulant plus a sedative. So it does physically react, you know, relax you because it, it literally slows down your brain. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it gives you this huge dopamine spike. So anyone who's drank a decent amount, you know, even once a week or at a party is going to have these 3 a.m. wake-ups. And that's when the alcohol is leaving your body and your anxiety tends to spike off the charts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, um, you know, in, in hormones, we talk about it as, so or between four, 2 and 4 a.m., which is when our liver is doing its business anyway, that's when we have a natural rise in cortisol to wake us the heck up in the morning, right? It's like we need, so if it's rising and your body's already jacked, then you wake up so fast and then that alcohol, that depressant has burned off and the adrenaline's going. And that's why we race and we can't settle down. And then you're just snookered for the day, aren't you? Oh, you're. I was so tired. And that's why I felt like, oh my God, I deserve a glass of wine, aka a bottle. For me, it was like a glass, et cetera. But <laughs> um, because I was exhausted and yet I was exhausted because I was drinking. So it's this circular firing squad, this catch 22. I love what you shared. So you shared a lot of reasons why I think it, what holds us back, right? These desires. And I think you've debunked some really great myths there. Like these, we think it's going to help us sleep better. We think it's going to help us. We think it's going to make us happier. Um, why, why, what do you think, well, you shared a little bit in your story, but what were some ways when, when you quit drinking or maybe even some of your clients when they have quit drinking for, you know, at least more than the 30 days, do you yeah. have a spot in there? Is there, is there a sweet spot where you feel like once I you- really, when women work with me, my goal sort of our joint commitment is to try to get them to a hundred days alcohol free continuously. Yeah. And then, I mean, I am a sober coach, so I, my goal is that they will feel so much better and have so much more clarity in how alcohol was impacting their priorities and their lives and their bodies and their relationships and their work, that they will be inspired and curious to see what six months is like, to see what a year is like. You, I think you were, were you going to ask me what holds women back? Yeah, I guess what, what, um, or, or, you know, maybe it's, let's put a positive spin on it. What are some things women don't expect that improve? Like, what are the things? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought that when I stopped drinking, I would be bored or I would be boring or I would sit around at parties just feeling deprived or isolated and I wouldn't be able to socialize. Those were my fears. None of those turned out to be true. It um, You need to build sort of muscles around overcoming cravings to drink, which usually last scientifically proven 20 minutes um, and experience that you can have a lot of fun without drinking. Um, you have to sort of debunk those limiting beliefs. Um. So I am still great friends with all my drinking friends. We did shift for a while from boozy happy hours and dinners out to yoga and long walks. And we did 
um, you know, the wanderlust mindful triathlon where you have this dance party and yoga and meditation and run a 5k and face painting. For me, it felt like summer camp. It was incredible. Your world expands. Um, I remember, you know, Friday, I used to always like look forward to Friday night, date night. And when I stopped drinking, I went to meet a friend on the other side of Seattle. We are a universe of lakes and bridges. And I was driving across the bridge at our big lake at 7 a.m. And there were all these people out there running and biking and talking. And I was like, oh my God, do they do this every day? They look so freaking happy. I mean, I was used to opening one eye when my kids came into the room and (laughs) being like, oh, am I going to make it to 10 a.m. yoga? Because I told my husband I needed, you know, wanted to do that the night before. Um, It also, you know, I went to Italy at four months alcohol-free, which I was a red wine girl. And that was so hard. And I was traveling with my mother and sister and family. So like trigger, trigger, you know what I mean? And they long dinners and I got to, you're sort of trading these boozy nights for these lovely, lovely mornings. Mm. And there's nothing better than waking up with optimism versus dread. But I, you know, went to bed a little bit early brought some books, had some peaceful nights, whereas my husband used to like walk me home from these like multiple bottle of wine dinners. And I wouldn't remember the end of some nights, but I woke up at 7 a.m. and walked the canals of Venice and did all this photography before any of the tourists were up. And it was just magical. Yeah. Yeah, I think that sounds, you're right. You're, I love what you said that your world opens up, your world gets bigger because yeah. you start to recognize other things outside of that one piece. What, what would you say though to, you know, women who, you know, maybe they're not drinking a bottle of wine a night, maybe they yeah. are drinking, drinking or just like, you know, a glass of wine a night or, you know, yeah. wine every other day. What, you know, what would you say to them or people who are like, well, I don't feel like I have an issue, you know, yeah. you have yeah. an issue. Just around like absolutely curious or why someone might want to be sober curious if they don't feel like they have an issue. Yeah. Well, you don't have to have an issue to see what your body and mind feel like without it. In my mind, it is a health and lifestyle choice in the same way that someone might decide to be a vegetarian. You are choosing what to consume. And there is a huge movement out there right now, the sober curious movement. It is, if you look around in January or in October or April, but especially around the holidays and the new year, there are articles in the New York Times and Forbes and Women's Health and on the Today Show and Vogue, like literally everyone is covering the sober curious movement, the rise of non-alcoholic beer and wine and spirits, how it's driving this change and also younger generations. So Gen Z and millennials are drinking significantly less than their parents and grandparents were at the same age. Gen X and baby boomers are the heaviest drinkers, baby boomers by far, which is kind of amazing. Um, the wine industry is actually very freaked out because the only population increasing consumption are baby boomers and they're 
going to pass away at some point soon. So, you know, it is incredible. And younger generations are not drinking as much one because there's been so much that has come out about the mental health impacts, anxiety and depression directly related to alcohol consumption. There also has been quite a bit um, released just in the last five years around the link to to cancer. Um, Alcohol causes cancer in the same way that tobacco does. Um, And, you know, is linked to seven different kinds of cancer and actually doesn't improve your heart health at all. And obviously causes issues to kidney and liver. But for many, many years, people thought that, you know, drinking in moderation was actually good for your health. And that was sort of red wine is good for your heart and sort of the French paradox. And a lot of those studies, if not all, were funded in part by the alcohol industry. Of course they were. (laughs) Right? Same way cigarettes were helped pregnant women relax in like the 60s and 70s, you know? It's like, God, my mother, my mother told me because I waited a long time. I mean, not that long, but I was 32 when I had my son and she was like, all right, I'm ready for grandkids. So she literally was like, you know, you can have a glass of wine while you're breastfeeding. It helps let the milk down. That is insane. You know what I mean? It is, you know, a carcinogen and we do stuff all the time. That's not good for us. Like truly, I am all about personal choice. And if you you don't have to have a problem to see how your life is like without it. Um, but experiment. I mean, people experiment with removing different aspects from their diet all the time. I love that. I think, you know, that's such a, a powerful message to share because really we so much as humans want to be known and we forget to really know ourselves. And I think like the only way to know yourself is to experiment, is to experience yourself like completely as is. And it's really hard to get to the truth of anything when there's chaos happening. And, and we know that alcohol creates that chaos. Like, I love that you said chaos because you mentioned like what surprised me or the benefits, one of my biggest fears was that I would be bored or I would be boring or my husband would think that I was boring if I didn't drink. And so when I was 30 days, when I hit that milestone, I kind of asked him, I said, oh, what have you noticed that's different about you know our lives? And he actually said that our home was much more peaceful than it was before, that just my moods had been more erratic. I seemed set off by things at work or, you know, just more irritable. And that our house was much more even in the energy, which a lot of times I think in the beginning, we think that life is boring because we're used to chaos. And what we call boredom is actually peace. Yeah. And, and, you know, what's so funny about that, I think too, Casey, is Often we really avoid stillness because we don't like what's coming up in it. And yeah. so choose to quiet that stillness with drinking or hustle that stillness and add chaos and call it, you know, productivity when it's like really the fastest way to your answer is often in the stillness. Cause that's going to tell you what's really bothering you. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to yeah. hear it. <laughs> I know. I always ask the question and this doesn't matter whether you drink, you know, a glass or two or more is what do you not have to think about when you drink? Ooh, that's a good one. Right. That's 
really part of your truth, isn't it? That's really what you want to address. Yeah. And it's only when you sort of acknowledge it that you can actually solve for it. Mm -hmm. I know it's not easy to do, um, but when you take a break from alcohol, you will actually find that so much of your life improves with just that one change. And a lot of it is you're more optimistic, you're less irritable, you're less stressed out or Mm -hmm. overwhelmed because you're just more productive. Yeah. You have less to, yeah, you're not. And, and and like you said, you're not so frazzled all the time. I mean, even just when you are drinking, it is that added workload constantly on your body. So there's a whole other set of open tabs happening at all times and the battery drains faster. So you just don't yeah. have, um, that's amazing. I love what you shared there. So, okay, let's get into some, maybe some real tips. Like what tips do you have? Cause I feel like there's going to be different types of people yeah. with different relationships with alcohol. <laughs> what tips do you have for the woman who is listening, who is like, recognizes that, like, like understands that maybe this isn't serving her and is is wanting to be sober curious. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the biggest thing that I recommend is to just eliminate alcohol in the beginning rather than making it part of a huge diet overhaul. I think that's the biggest mistake women make. And I did it, right? Like, okay, if I'm not drinking my favorite treat in the world, I am also not going to eat sugar. I'm going to work out five days a week. I'm going to have salads instead of burgers, all these kinds of things. And the truth is that just by removing alcohol, you will look better. You'll have be less bloated. You'll sleep better. Your skin will look better no matter how much you drink because alcohol is a toxin in your body. And when you stop drinking alcohol, you are going to crave sugar for a while. Um, Both because alcohol, a lot of it has a lot of sugar in it, but also because sugar gives you that same dopamine hit that you're used to from alcohol and your dopamine is suppressed Mm -hmm. and will come back to a normal level. So it is okay to eat the cookie or the brownie or whatever it is. Like you will not... You know, some women will say to me, oh, I feel like I'm just trading one addiction for another. You are not. It is a finite piece of time that is getting you away from this substance. Um, Also, hunger is a huge trigger. So I highly recommend setting an alarm for like 3.30 or 4 p.m. and eating something with protein because that like low blood sugar going into the witching hour when you usually come home and have a glass of wine, that can be hard. Um, I highly recommend setting a goal for a longer period of time. Um, In a perfect world, I love 100 days, but if it's 50, 30 days can be a little tricky, but is definitely better than nothing. The challenge with 30 days is it takes about two weeks to sort of feel physically better without the cravings. Mm. And if you're only planning on doing 30 days, you never sort of rewire that craving to reward cycle. You're basically white knuckling it until the end of the month. So you can reward yourself with drinking for not drinking. So that's, that's why I like going longer, Mm -hmm. you know? I think that, and I love that you share that because I think in general, you know, real results in anything to really experience results in anything, you got to look at 12, 12 weeks, which is probably touching your hundred days. Very close. Yeah. We're not vending machines here. You know, it's not like in input output, like you need to give your body that time to get there and, and to catch up. Yeah. 
Yeah. Do you have different tips for someone? Well, and they might not even be li- be listening to this podcast then, but for someone who maybe not as in denial, but doesn't really think that they are at all ready to recognize the impact of alcohol on themselves? Yeah. I mean, I think that there is not a single person who decides to stop drinking or take a longer break from drinking um, unless you truly can take it or leave it, you know, and, um, and by that, like, you're not thinking about moderating, you're not making rules, you're not saying, oh, my God, I could never do 30 days, or why would you want to do that? Um, Who does not spend quite a bit of time thinking about it? And saying, okay, my drinking isn't that bad. I don't actually need to stop. All my friends drink like I do. How will I celebrate Friday nights? What will I do on vacation? I would say just become interested in it. Like I have a podcast. There are many other podcasts out there that are optimistic and hopeful and and also give you tips and tricks on how to do that, you'll hear from many, many women who tell you that they love drinking and they stopped and they are happier. Um, And also they're great books that you can read that sort of explain if you're listening to this, you're interested in your body and, and your connection, this naked mind control alcohol is a great sort of science-based book on uh, getting away from drinking, um, alcohol explained by William Porter is a fantastic book. Um, there's a book, not drinking tonight by Amanda E white. She's the millennial therapist and she dives into not only the science, but also, um, you know, the psychological reasons and how to address anxiety and boredom and looking at what you don't want to think about when you're drinking. So, there are a lot of resources out there and that's why I love the term sober curious, you know? Yeah. Be curious about it. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. Um, I I know I read a book called the no alcohol experiment. Yeah. That was a really, so it's, you're right. Just that curiosity around it's just that education starts to, sometimes it starts to make the shift a little bit more easily, doesn't it? And I think that like, um, Many, you know, what I hear most from women who come to me is I just want to drink like a quote unquote normal person. I want to be able to take it or leave it. And, you know, what the popularity of my podcast tells me is that there are so many women out there who are curious about not drinking or worried about their drinking. Or the study this year said 34% of American adults want to cut back on their alcohol intake. So you are not alone. We just don't really talk about it because there's been such a stigma around if the only people who stop drinking are people who have a drinking problem. And that is shifting and changing. And I would assume if the boomers are the largest consumers, I mean, aren't they all of our parents then? Yes. How we were raised. It's how, I mean, my parents had a bottle of wine on the table every single night at dinner. And oddly, they did not drink that much. I mean, they drank daily, but not, did not, they had an off switch. They were not like getting buzzed every night. My sister doesn't drink a ton. um, But 
she's a member of a wine club, you know, it's, it's coming two bottles coming to her house every month. And, um, I just thought that the sound of glasses clinking was the happiest sound in the world. And my parents had a ton of dinner parties and my grandparents had a cocktail every night at dinner, you know, in these fancy glasses. And I think that I had a lot of anxiety and was sort of hyper vigilant on being the straight A girl. And I, you know, a lot of people self-medicate for a million different things with alcohol, including like ADHD, right? ADHD, people have a very low level of dopamine and they're overstimulated. And um, people with ADHD are five times more likely to struggle with substance use. There are so many different reasons people drink. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I love I love that you shared that. And it's almost like, you know, what you're saying there and what I'm hearing anyway is just that like obviously our connection to our relationship with alcohol starts years and years and years before even we start to drink. Um, and so maybe that's a perfect segue into talking about how you help people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I primarily work with busy, high achieving women. That's just um, the women who seem to be attracted to working with me because I was working full time uh, and I had two little kids and I also did not have any sort of crisis that made me stop drinking. And yet it was a huge part of my identity and my social circle. So my husband drank every anniversary trip was to a wine tasting region. Um, Every dinner was a bar crawl, you know, every date night, all those things. Um, And all my friends drank. So a huge barrier for me was one, it was how I relaxed, how I coped, how um, I, what I thought was a privilege of adulthood. I thought it was a signifier for not falling into the mom, you know, weirdly not falling into the mom culture. And yet I was completely immersed in the mom wine culture. So I work with women first to really practically get a longer period of time away from alcohol to stop the cycle of, yes, I said I wasn't going to drink, but it's a hard day, a good day. I've been invited out. The office is going out for happy hour. I'll just start again on Monday. Mm -hmm. Sort of, they are investing in me. They have accountability, whether it's my course, whether it's one-on-one with me. So a huge hard part of it is drawing a line in the sand The second thing we do is give them practical tools to deal with the reasons they drink. So after a long day of work, you feel completely spent. What else can you do to relax, to reward yourself? In the beginning, it should feel like extreme self-care, like you were actually taking care of yourself for the first time in a very long time. And so I highly recommend what I call sober treat every day, plan it out, have something to look forward to. Um, I used to do pedicures on Friday nights or a facial or a walk with a girlfriend instead of dinner and wine. I used to get sushi takeout because um, I didn't like sake and they wrap red wine. So I was like, okay, that's safe. And I love sushi. Um, you know, just planning 
something, you know, I bought essential oils and diffused them in my bedroom. I joined a gym with a steam room and a hot tub and a protein smoothie bar, all these things. And my first month without alcohol, I saved so much money. I mean, that pays for a lot of babysitters and a gym membership and a pedicure, you know? That's a, that's a really good point. I, I want to go back. So it was so interesting to hear to say, for you to say, um, I didn't have a crisis. It wasn't the reason I changed because yeah. I think we think crisis and we think, you know, and you tell me if this is what you think when you're thinking of crisis, we're like, well, maybe getting pulled over for drinking and driving, yes. maybe having an actual severe health issue. But I think those are really acute crises. But yeah. when, like in hindsight, when you think back, when you think back about the woman who wasn't remembering conversations or was yeah. in her life was struggling with anxiety. I mean, is that not a crisis? Like, maybe- Oh my God, it is. And I did a whole episode with my friend, Jill, who is the host of the Sober Powered podcast, which takes a scientific look at yeah. alcohol in the body. And um, we were laughing about the fact that we were like, oh, we didn't have any consequences. And we were like, oh, except that time I threw up after going out with colleagues or, oh, except that time that I was hung over XYZ or, you know, I canceled this class or whatever. It's really funny when you look back on it. Like I have no shame um, about not, you know, because I feel like I didn't do anything quote unquote that wrong. Um, and yet I would I went to my therapist and I was like, well, I'm only hurting myself. And I was like, the coffee's still made, the dentist appointments are still done. I'm still meeting all the goals for my boss and upholding my end for my colleagues. And he was like, so you're hurting yourself. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? Yeah, that's amazing. That's really interesting that you say that. And I think um, just that, yeah, yeah. The fact, I think one of the things that I really fell in love with your podcast around Casey is, is just, I think that what you help bring to light is realizing how, how much we can dim our light without like hold ourselves back. Like we don't even know how bright we can shine when we're constantly dulling. So let's play with this option. Let's like, let's clean it up and and let the light shine and then make a decision how shiny, how bright you want to shine, you know? And I think that's something that you create so beautifully in your conversations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think it is one of the greatest experiments that we can take because it really impacts so much of just the way you view the world um, mm-hmm. in terms of pessimism to optimism, in terms of overwhelm to confidence, in terms of feeling sick and tired to feeling proud of yourself and energetic. And for a lot of the women I work with, I sort of describe it as they're trying to run this marathon with a ball and chain tied to their ankle. And when you get rid of that, one, they realize how much more ease they have in their life, but also how much more they can achieve. When I was drinking, I literally didn't know if I could keep up with my director level job at a Fortune 500 company. Once I stopped drinking and did some of the work around anxiety and boundaries and other coping mechanisms and all that good stuff... I went back to coaching school and started a business and coaching women on nights and weekends while still having the exact same job, the exact same kids, the exact same life. And it felt good. 
you know, very busy. I definitely at times was like, all right, this is too much, but it didn't feel like anything extra would be like the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. So that's so interesting. It's almost a direct opportunity cost of like what you were missing by drinking, what you got to gain in so many other areas. And obviously we get to choose what that might be for each of us, but. Oh, for some people, it's just a peaceful, lovely life. For some people, it's they get into guitar or they, I have a client who's getting back into ballet, which was cool. One started painting and she was Dean of students at a private liberal arts college and could barely deal, gave up drinking. And again, it takes a little while, but, you know, started this painting business on the side. And this summer she went to a painter's retreat in France where she lived in this farmhouse for a month and painted. And she has two kids, you know, 13, one in college. I just think it's cool. I think it's very interesting. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know until you kind of create that space and, and give it a try and explore. Yeah. So I love that. I feel like we've covered a lot of amazing things. I'm, I'm really grateful for everything we've talked about. I know we talked about kind of, you know, your story specifically about how we actually feel better, what happens and holds us back and some really great tri- tips. But do you have, you know, one last thing that you'd want to share? If you could share one thing. Yeah. To- who are here, you know, we've got sober January, which is a thing coming up around the corner. You know, I know for me, like, absolutely, you know, especially if you're a woman in the 35 to 55 age range, like taking time. And now I'm like, now more than ever, I'm more committed to the 100 days after hearing what you have to say, like taking time away is valuable. What would you say? What's on your heart to say to the women listening? I would just say to jump in. And Especially like if you're listening to this in dry January, but trust me, there is also dry July and sober October and all this stuff. And, and, you know, people are doing all of these. Um, try it because lots of people are doing it. It truly is a movement. You don't have to quietly be like, Oh, I'm on antibiotics. Like uh-huh. just, you know, you can say, Oh, I want to see if I feel better and sleep better without it. And you, you know, some of the women I work with are like, oh my God, I just want a glass of rosé on the deck with my husband. And I'm like, you can have a glass of rosé with your deck on the husband, you know, because there are phantom like on the deck. Anyway, there are fantastic non-alcoholic rosés. Truly, I have to check the bottle to make sure it's non-alcoholic. Like the world is changing and I think um, one of my friends said, just keep the ritual, change the ingredients. Ooh, that's good. I like that. I like that a lot. I might borrow that. I will credit you. Yeah, do it. Do it. <laughs> that's incredible. Thank you so much, Casey. I hope for everyone listening, I really, you know, if anything really touched you in this, I really want you to go out and listen to Casey's podcast, the Hello Someday podcast for Sober Curious Women. And where else can we find you? Yeah, hello someday is a great place to go. I've got my free 30-day guide for your first month alcohol free. You can sign up for that. Or I'm on Instagram at Casey M as in McGuire Davidson. Love it. Thank you so much, Casey. I'm really excited to have you here. So excited to 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 start implementing some of these things myself. And I'm really grateful for everything. Awesome. All right, sisters, you've heard it all. Go out, be more in your life and not just less on a scale or not just a drinker. All right, we'll catch you next time. 
Thank you so much for joining me on the Period Whisperer podcast. I want to encourage you to reach out to me directly and message me if there are topics or things you're struggling with so we can address those right where you are at. And of course, if you loved this episode, if you learned something, make sure to share it with your friends and please rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts.